Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our latest NACTA virtual programming session. With, um, with COVID cases up around the country, we are very uh, hopeful that all of you and your staff and your families are taking necessary precautions as we all work together to try to get through this pandemic. While we have been inundated with managing the pandemic again at home and in the office with your teams, with your coaches, we also have uh, some pretty important legislation in front of us that we need to uh, talk about today. Um, NAL registration is upon us and it's important that we properly educate ourselves and our staffs on the various nuances that will occur once, once this legislation is in place. We are excited to uh, have two experts join us today and I'm sure they will provide you with everything you need to know and then some regarding NIL, but it's really important that we, you know, you understand that, that Oliver and Casey are two practitioners that have experience in dealing with NIL matters. Uh, Casey Schwab is CEO and founding partner of Altius Sports Partners. He's uh, responsible for oversight of the company and as I said, was a founding member prior to joining Altius. Schwab was vice president of business and legal affairs at the NFL Players Association, helping lead the NIL program uh, to the NFL players. He began, his, he began his career in sports media at NFL Media and Fox Sports and has taught at both USC and Harvard Law Schools. A familiar face to all of us is Oliver Luck, who's been with us before. Uh, Oliver provides leadership and experience to Altia Sports proper, uh, uh, Partners as an advisor and his vast uh, experience in collegiate and professional sports is an incredible asset that, that Casey leans on quite a bit. Uh, Oliver has served in a wide variety of leadership roles, as you all know, in athletics, including Commissioner of the XFL, Executive VP at the NCAA, and Athletics Directors at West Virginia University. Additionally, Luck has been in leadership roles with the Houston Dynamo of Major League Soccer and the NFL and was CEO of Harris County Houston Sports Authority, where he oversaw the financing, construction, and management of the professional sports and entertainment infrastructure in Houston, including Minute Maid Park, Reliance Stadium, and Toyota Center. Now, we all have been on these Zoom calls before, so you see the Q&A you see the chat section in the bottom of your screen, please use that application to ask any questions you might have of Casey or Oliver. Uh, we'd like this session to be as interactive as possible. Uh, we know you all have a lot of questions, so please feel free to just type in your questions in that area in the bottom of your Zoom screen and uh, Casey will, will get to those as, um, as quickly as possible. Now, um, my introduction is over. Casey and Oliver, good luck. We look forward, to look forward to you educating us today. Cool, thank you, Bob. Um, and, and thank you to NACTA for having us. Very, very excited to you know, be, be on another Zoom call because I know a lot of us, all of us are on a lot of Zoom calls all day long, but this one, this one is especially exciting. Um, so appreciate you having us. Oliver, good to see you. We see each other a lot on Zoom. It's good to see you. Um, so I, I see it's great. It's great. It's great to see you. And let me thank Bob and, and Katie and all the great people in NACTA for, for helping uh, kind of keep 
the intercollegiate athletics world connected, you know, during this COVID time. It's it's a challenge for everybody, obviously, but uh, it, it's so it's so important to have this sort of connectivity, you know, from uh, you know across the board on, on all sorts of different topics. So I'm delighted to, with you to be on here uh, and, and be able to communicate with you know hundreds of of practitioners at the at the you know conference and campus level. Awesome, awesome, and and as Bob said. To all of you listening and watching in, um, please, please feel free to ask questions on the Zoom Q&A. Um, I've got it up and I'm going to be watching those questions and we want to make this as, as interactive as we can, recognizing that one, we're on Zoom, not in a room, and two, we are, um, you know, you're only, on, only able to post your questions and, and not turn your camera on, but I will get to the questions. So please, please ask questions. Um, so we're going to talk about NIL and, and it's interesting to, um, you know, NIL name image likeness is, is, is a hot topic all over uh, intercollegiate athletics. And, you know, it's otherwise known as right of publicity in the legal world. Um, and and I, I want to start, Oliver, just could you give us um, defined NIL and, def and if you could define it in a way that's a little more substantive and contextual than just name image likeness, because I think most of the folks listening probably understand it at a basic level, but could you give us some, some, a contextual definition of what is NIL, and, and then we can talk about maybe what isn't NIL. Sure. So let me let me try to put uh, this in the context of the NCAA and intercollegiate athletics, the world in which you know um, we're, we're living. So it, you know, there are a number of different ways to look at it, but one one way is is to look at it uh, in the sense that for years, right. Uh, the NCAA, the regulator of intercollegiate athletics in this country, the NCAA, um, you know, recognized that, that there was a name and image and a likeness, right. That, uh, student athletes had, uh, but they limited in, in the very severe way, the ability of that student athlete, that college athlete to monetize his or her name, uh, his or her image, his or her likeness, what professional athletes have been doing for decades, you know, sometimes with their union, sometimes independently, uh, but that name image likeness monetization opportunity was not available uh, to college athletes. Uh, the NCAA fought uh, in the court system for decades. They, they fought it in the court of public opinion, if you will. And of course, as we know, uh, they, they fought it uh, unsuccessfully, of course, in, you know, in a lot of state legislatures. So, um, you know, the name, the image, the likeness of a student athlete is uh, sort of a fundamental right that that student athlete maintains. And beginning in the summer of 2021, uh, it, and there's lots of ifs in terms of how this all rolls out, uh, but by and large, beginning in the summer of 2021, a student athlete uh, with some restrictions that will be put in place by the NCAA and perhaps by the conferences and the schools themselves. Uh, but a student athlete in the summer of 21 will have the ability to monetize his or her name, image, and likeness. What does that mean? That means that all those things that had been prohibited up until this point uh, will now be allowed. So that could be an autograph session that the student athlete conducts uh, and gets paid for. That could be uh, offering... Uh, lessons in uh, to middle school kids and how to hit a curveball or or how to uh, you know dig a volleyball uh, or whatever it would be in the sport uh, student athletes can use their social media profiles their platforms on instagram or facebook or twitter uh, and endorse third-party products and receive compensation for that so 
it opens up a completely new world, a world that, Casey, you know well from the work you did at the National Football League Players Association. Uh, but it is, I would argue, um, going to be one of the single biggest shifts in intercollegiate athletics in terms of just how student athletes have behaved themselves, what, what they could, what they couldn't do. Uh, it's going to be a major shift. And as I think all of us are finding out, you know, everybody's aware of what NIL is. They're aware, by and large, of the legislation that's working its way uh, through the three different divisions, divisions one, two, and three. Um, but because of the pandemic, because of the financial concerns that schools are having because of fall football questions and, and winter sports questions, a lot of sort of the work that should be done now, I think, is getting pushed off a little bit, understandably so. Uh, but it is, uh, I think, without question, going to be a, a very significant shift in how student athletes interact with administrators, with coaches, the opportunities that they have. And like anything else in life, there's positives and there's some real potential negatives uh, that, that I think everybody on campus and in a conference needs to really think about uh, as this new era dawns. Right, right. So, so I want to get, get to on-campus preparations for NIL, um, what you just mentioned. But before getting to that, it might be um, helpful to lay out the different um, at a high level, you know, we're not we're not going to go in. This isn't a law school class, a legislative class on policy, but at a very high level, you know, you mentioned August. We, we kind of all have August in our mind as the, the the date when the green light goes on. And we know the Florida law goes into effect in July, unless there's some contingencies which could happen. But at a high level, um, could you talk through the, the, the different pieces, state, federal, NCAA, and then and then I think there's to me, in my mind, there's three or four big open issues that are kind of like vacillating back and forth from those proposals. So could you talk about those a little bit? Sure. So, uh, you know, there, and, and we, again, we don't want to get too complicated in terms of the minutia, uh, but there have been a number of states that have passed NIL uh, laws, uh, Florida being uh, the most recent state, their, their rule would go into effect July 1. I don't see that changing. And, you know, Florida is sort of geared up as a state geared up uh, for that. Uh, there have been other states that, that have passed NIL bills as well. Uh, and there's an effort that's taking place right now with our good friend, Gabe Feldman, very, uh, you know, well-respected well sports law professor at Tulane. He's on the Uniform Law Commission trying to, with others, to draft uh, state law that could be used by all 50 states so that there's some uniformity across the board. Uh, so uh, there are a handful of state laws. California's was the state law that has been passed, won't go into effect for a couple more years, but it really was the impetus uh, to force, I think, uh, the NCAA into uh, updating its own regulations. And that's happening as, as we speak. The final NCAA regulations won't be promulgated uh, until January at the NCAA convention. That will be for divisions one, two, and three, and they will differ a bit. Division one uh, may differ a bit from what uh, division two and division three want to do. So that process is taking place. The division one council and the other uh, governing bodies of the other two divisions are looking at that, the packages as, as uh, we go into, uh, into late you know, 2020, but they'll be, they'll be promulgated in, in uh, January of 21. And then you've got a, a separate piece, which is the federal government, of course. And there have been a handful of different bills that have been uh, introduced. 
the most recent bill that was introduced was introduced by Representative Anthony Gonzalez, a, a Cleveland native from St. Ignatius High School, played at Ohio State, played, of course, for the Colts for a number of years. Uh, Anthony's bill was uh, a bipartisan bill, uh, along with uh, Senator, or I'm sorry, a congressman from the state of Missouri uh, who played football at Clemson. Uh, so two guys, you know, that uh, kind of understood Cleaver from Clemson and, and Gonzalez from Ohio State that understand collegiate athletics. It's not clear, though, given the, the where we are uh, in the country with the politics in Washington, D.C., with an election coming up, it's not clear that there'll be a federal bill that will preempt all the other state legislation. So ultimately, uh, the NCAA, I think, is committed to its course of, of action within its legislative entities uh, to come up with uh, the, an NIL system, again, with some regulations, for example, uh, student athletes more than likely will be prohibited uh, from doing endorsements of uh, cannabis uh, companies or endorsements of liquor companies. There'll be some restrictions that will be put in place. Uh, but I think the takeaway really uh, at the end of the day is that every school division one, two, and three, you know, needs to begin to think about name, name image likeness, how the school needs to protect itself uh, because there's going to be some, some issues that are going to get contentious, I, I believe, ultimately. Right. Uh, and the thing that, that we probably haven't talked about enough uh, as, as, as an entity uh, is the fact that you'll allow, agents will be allowed to engage in this marketplace. So a student athlete can hire an agent, a brand advisor. Uh, that can be anybody from uh, you know, the top agent uh, for uh, you know, for professional athletes, all the way down to uh, your roommate who may end up, you know, out there hustling, uh, you know, sort of side gigs, if you will, autograph sessions and appearances and endorsements uh, for, you know, uh, for a student athlete. So that's going to really affect, I think, how, uh, you know, athletic departments function, because we've never had a situation, quite honestly, where you had uh, that many student athletes having the monetization opportunity who in a sense are able to go out and, 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 and each have an agent or a representative or a brand advisor. Uh, so one of the big issues that we had talked about, Casey, and many, many folks have questions about this, is the role of institutional marks, right? The logos, if you will, uh, that the schools have and whether a student athlete will be allowed to use those marks, those institutional logos in any of the endorsement activities. At the division one level, it appears that the consensus will be when the NCAA legislation is in fact finalized, the answer to that will be no. That student athletes will not be allowed to use the institutional marks of the school. At the division two level, that might be completely different. They're taking a different approach, at least early on with their discussions, which is they uh, will allow a student athlete at the D2 level to use the marks and logos of, of the institution. So uh, there, there are lots of relatively fine points, right? Nuanced points that still need to get worked out. And I hesitate to say that we know exactly where the rules are gonna be because they haven't been finalized yet. But that's sort of the sense that uh, we're getting as, as we talk to folks who are involved with the uh, various working groups and, the, and also on the division one council. Right, right, and, and you mentioned so, so you mentioned the use of marks. Um, one of the really interesting things that we've talked about a lot, Oliver, and, and as we at Altius, we've talked to a lot of different schools, including our, including our first few clients, is the use of school marks and, and separately, but relatedly, um, 
the, the, the student athletes being able to do NIL deals with competitors of school partners. And, and I think those are both undecided issues when it comes to the rules. Um, you know, the different proposals differ, but without commenting on any of those, I will say very briefly from my time at the NFLPA, the, the union for the NFL players, you know, representing the athletes on it, working with the NFL and the NFL clubs every day, that there were ways to make the pie bigger. And there were ways that, that, you know, we, we, our whole job on the for-profit side of the union was to do just that and make the pie bigger because all the dollars that came in um, for playing through the CBA was under all revenue and, and it was split. But then what we did is endorsements and licensing and group licensing, which we can talk about Oliver, but licensing and sponsorship and endorsements and, and appearances and autographs and all the things you talked about. So again, without, you know, I'm not making a comment one way or the other, but I do think that's a really, that's something to really uh, zone in on if you're working at a school is, okay, one, what's our position on that when, you know, as these rules are being drafted? And two, if we need to make a decision at a school level, meaning if the rules put it, put the decision to the institution to make the decision as to whether the student athletes are able to do deals with conflicting partners of ours, what's our position on that? What's our policy on that? And that's one of the things that we've spent a lot of time discussing. Um, Oliver, you, you, you mentioned at a school level being prepared now. And, and so we just talked about the rules. The rules aren't gonna be final, final until January. And then Congress is gonna get back together in the spring and things could change and things could shake up. What are a few things that, that institutions at all levels can be doing right now on October 27th um, to prepare themselves and to prepare their coaches and their staff for these NIL rules that they're coming like a freight train. Sure, there, there, uh, there are, I think, a number of things that schools should be thinking about doing, you know, big, big and small. But, I, but let, me, let me go back to, to one of the comments you made. One of the open questions is how will, uh, you know, conflicts between an official school sponsor, let's say it's a financial institution, a bank, the official bank of University of X athletics that you know can use the marks, can use the logos, is paying the school for that right and buying you know ad time on the radio broadcasts of football or basketball or baseball games or whatever it would be. You know, the, the the question is, will a student athlete be prohibited from engaging uh, with uh, a competitor of, of of that official bank of University X Y Z? The answer is we don't know at this point. It's one of the big open questions. Uh, Representative Gonzalez's bill would allow that student athlete uh, to engage with a competitor of an existing school sponsor. Uh, the NCAA preferred version, though, would be that uh, the university, the institution, would be able to to literally sort of you know take out of commission certain categories uh, where there would not be a, a competitor allowed in, from a, from a student athlete endorsement standpoint. So that's that's a big question. That's one of those questions that. Athletic directors are concerned about uh, your point about making the pie bigger is, is a good one. Uh, but I think there's a lot of athletic directors that look at sort of the traditional corporate sponsorship business and are very concerned that uh, at least in the short term, the pie may not get much bigger. In fact, that it may get a little bit smaller. Uh, so, you know, ironically, to go back to your, your original question, one of the things that I think schools can do is really take a look at their corporate sponsorship uh, sponsorship palette and the various companies that are involved 
and try to figure out what, which, which companies really make sense, which, which approach makes more sense in terms of growing that pie. Uh, clearly, uh, revenue is important for, for a lot of schools and the corporate sponsorship piece, often done by uh, the good folks at Learfield uh, IMG College, you know, is an important you know, revenue source for a lot of the schools. Uh, so that's one big issue that uh, I think you know, needs to be reviewed, of course, at the, at the institutional level to make sure that, uh, that, that you know, the student athletes are going to have opportunities, uh, but they're not going to be cutting too deeply into the revenue that, uh, that the, the schools rely on to pay for the scholarships and the coaching salaries and travel and you know, all the other expenses that an institution has. That's one. I think the other thing that uh, everybody needs to really sort of move forward on is beginning the process of educating coaches, educating administer, administrators. And that includes not just uh, administrators within athletics. I think it includes folks within, for example, the university's president's office or uh, folks that, are, that serve on the board of trustees, board of regents. Uh, these are all individuals that need to understand that there's a seismic shift that is coming to college athletics. Something again, that the NCAA fought you know, for years uh, in the courts uh, but now it's going to be upon us and it's going to be upon us relatively quickly. And, uh, you know, it's going to be used uh, whether I think folks like it or not, it's going to be used in recruiting. It's going to be used in sort of those advanced forms of recruiting when with uh, instant transfer now, what seems to be, you know, the, the case and, and, and people moving uh, more easily between schools. So uh, it, 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 it's critical, I think, that people understand what NIL is and also what NIL isn't, right? Because there are some things that will be sort of off, off limits. So the, the, the appropriate involvement, for example, that a compliance office can have. I think the general spirit of the rule will be that a compliance office uh, can educate, uh, but they certainly can't facilitate or arrange deals for their student athletes. Uh, and as compliance folks know, they walk a fine line all the time <laughs> in their daily activity. Uh, but that, you know, it's going to be a very difficult sort of line to follow to make sure that uh, a compliance office or any sort of administrator is not you know, walking over that line and helping a student, uh, you know, arrange a deal or facilitate a deal that could get that school at the end of the day uh, in, in trouble as well. So it's a, a brand new ecosystem. It's, it's, a, it's a, a lot of rules that eventually will have to be put in place. Uh, and it's coming you know, down the pike very fast uh, looking at us. And again, the problems with COVID and finances with uh, institutions and sports and all that is, is I think causing uh, folks not to maybe be on top of it as, as much as they need to be. Right, right. So we have three questions. I'm gonna get those in a second. But one, one of the things, this is how my brain works. And you mentioned this, Oliver, is, is, is so you think about, and maybe this is the, the, the lawyer in me, but you think about every school has, has an obligation to its student athletes to educate. So that's the, that's the minimum, but then there's a, then there's a, there's a backstop of facilitate. So it, it gets really interesting. We won't get into, go into origins of words and synonyms, but if you have to, you have to educate, but you can't facilitate. So I think that's the lane in which schools need to be, need to be staying within. And then, and then, as you said, like, how close to the line of facilitate can you get when you don't have prior precedent to look back to? You don't have, this is a brand new area. I, that, that to me is the most interesting um, intellectual exercise as we're talking to athletic directors of, okay, we know we have to educate. We know what facilitate is and you see it, doing a deal. 
going out and literally, literally securing a deal for a student athlete that's facilitate, but then you get the, yeah, well, yeah, but, but th think about it, you know, having been an athletic director of a big school, you know, I, I could easily envision somebody calling up and saying, Hey, this is uh, you know, Joe Jones and I'm the president of the local rotary club. And I'd love to have uh, right. uh, you know, a basketball player come and give our, our guys, uh, you know, luncheon meeting a speech about the upcoming basketball season. And we can pay a $250 honorarium, which, you know, is brand new. You couldn't do that, uh, you know, a year or so ago, like, you know, and ask a compliance person, can you recommend somebody that could do that for us? So is that a facilitation of a deal? Is that arranging a deal? That's certainly, you know, steering, right, a, a little bit of money to a particular individual. So those are the types of questions that, you know, I, I think will cause a lot of compliance folks and others you know, to pull their hair out because that's something that could easily happen, you know, across multiple uh, campuses. Or the same thing with, uh, you know, autograph session uh, for, uh, you know, at a pizza parlor or the same thing. I've got a 10 year old uh, daughter who loves, uh, you know, bas women's basketball. And I'm going to call up and see if I can't get a couple of the girls to come by, which one should come by and I can pay 150 bucks an hour so they can play with my other, my daughter's friends to watch, you know, to do a pickup game. Those kind of things are going to happen across our you know 1,200 campuses, and those are the sorts of issues that need to you know to get folks uh, uh, to get their attention now to start thinking about those and talking about those. Right, right, okay, cool. So we have three questions. The first one, and I'm just going to read it verbatim. When it starts in summer 2021, does it also include incoming freshmen, or do they have to wait a whole semester before they're able to take advantage of NIL? So one of the recommendations that the Power Five conferences made. Uh, to the federal government was that uh, a first semester freshman not be eligible for monetization of his or her name, image, likeness. I don't know if that would fly with, with the federal government. I don't believe that uh, the NCAA version, right, their own internal regulations, which is really what we're talking about here, uh, will include that because that, that seems relatively restrictive. I get why uh, one would think about that. Um, because you'd want to give, you know, a full semester time for a student to acclimate to athletics and the academics and the new environment. Uh, but that doesn't seem to have caught on uh, with, with those folks who are working on the working committee uh, to, you know, to, to restrict NIL to a first semester freshman or, or even a second semester uh, freshman. But again, I hesitate to say that with 100% certainty. It depends on what uh, what gets promulgated in, in January, but I don't think that'll be a part uh, of the restrictions. Right, right. And as you as you mentioned, Oliver, that's one of the that's one of the four or five items that that we've noted in our research from the different proposals and both both federal legislatively and the NCAA. That's kind of an open and open item because, as you said, the athlete advocates. There's an athlete advocacy bill. Um, they certainly don't want that sort of restriction, and then folks on the more restrictive side do. Um, so second question, do you expect current administrators to also serve as paid or unpaid agents slash brand advisors for student athletes at their institutions or other institutions in the NCAA? So current administrators serving as paid or unpaid agents or brand advisors to student athletes. Yeah, I think that the answer to that question really goes back to, you know, where that line is between educating student athletes on what NIL is, what it isn't, what are the specific rules, when can you use uh, institutional marks and logos when you can't, et cetera. And then crossing that line and facilitating deals, which I think will be a no-no. That'll be, you know, that'll be uh, prohibited. So 
I, I don't think that any administrator, whether it's a compliance officer or, you know, a sports supervisor, you name it, a coach, I don't think any administrator, uh, at least in the spirit of the rules, will be allowed to facilitate, uh, you know, those types of deals. So uh, I, I don't see that, you know, any administrator would play sort of that double role of, of a brand advisor. You know, this is a brand new marketplace. Uh, it's, it's, you know, if you're an economics major, it's a fascinating case study to see this new marketplace, uh, you know, be launched and, and grow and form. And it has to grow organically. Uh, and I think the idea is that the fewer restrictions, the better in terms of allowing that marketplace to grow organically. Uh, and, and that's going to mean, you know, keeping, if you will, you know, the administrators, the compliance officers, uh, other adults, if you will, in, in, uh, you know, in the employee of an athletic department, sort of out of that business as much as possible. At the same time, of course, you know, compliance folks do a marvelous job of educating and making sure that the student athletes aren't violating rules. And so it's going to be a, a, a challenging time for, you know, for all the, the compliance folks. We've, you and I, Casey, have had conversations with, you know, some of the NAC leadership and uh, they, they have, as you'd suspect, a lot to do already. Their plate's pretty darn full. This is adding one more, you know, challenging piece to that. Uh, but it's, it's it, I, I don't envision that any athletic administrators can double, if you will, as brand advisors. That, that would seem to be a, a violation, at least of the spirit of the, of the rules. Right. All right. So we, we've got several more. I'm, I'm going to run, run through the questions because this, this is great. Thank you all for the questions. Um, if student athletes are not allowed to partner with school sponsored competitors, uh, will they be able will they be able to use institutional marks for a corporate sponsor that pays the school for that right? Um, I, I think I'm going to play translator a little bit. I think, Oliver, the question revolves around um, our, would, would a student athlete be able to do a deal with it with a um, with a corporate partner? So the corporate MMR partner, the corporate partner, the, the local bank has a deal for the school marks. And now they also want to hire the starting women's basketball point guard to show up at an event or be on a billboard. Can they then use utilize the marks under their existing deal with the school? Um, and have her wear her jersey or put the little, you know, lower third below her or on the, on the billboard, can they use that or, or is that a no-no under, under the current rules? Yeah, that's, that, that it's, a, it's a great question. It's not clear, right? Historically, you know, a company that, uh, you know, is, was the official sponsor of University X, you know, they, they, they would use images of athletes, but often images that were, were not individualized, right? So it's everybody, you know, holding up, you know, in the pregame huddle, you know, a basketball game or a soccer game, you literally didn't see, you know, the names uh, of, of, of the players. So uh, the short answer, it's a great question. It's, it's really not clear at this point if, uh, you know, the official bank of University X is able to use uh, legitimate images of, you know, of three or four or five or six players uh, and whether those players would be compensated, you know, as part of that. Because that would mean using their the the, the, the institutional marks of the school. That's right. a that's a big it's a big issue, uh, and you know, based on on discussions that I've had, and I know you've been a part of many of those, Casey. You know, athletic directors, you know, need uh, to you know keep the institutional marks, uh, you know, really because that's the real value that a, that a third party company is paying, right? They want to associate themselves with University X Y Z. And to do that, you need to be able to use the official marks. And 
they're concerned about those marks, you know, being diluted, if you will, uh, if, if, if others, student athletes and, and potentially others are able to use those. Right. So short answer is we don't know yet. That's, that's one of the questions that I'll have to get sorted out. Yeah. And, and, and I'll, I'll just add a, briefly onto that. If you think about it, if we, if we end up in a world where there's a, a, a across the board prohibition on the use of institutional marks along with NIL activities, meaning even if the school wanted to grant the use of its marks along with it, it, one of its athletes, it wouldn't be able to. If we, if we end up in that world, I think, Oliver, to what your point is, um, it alleviates a lot of the, the concerns, both from the unauthorized use of marks. And if you think about, well, okay, if you're in a situation where a student athlete or a partner or, or a competitor of a partner is using your school marks without you giving the permission, now you're in a tough position as an athletic director or a compliance director or in the legal department at a school because normally you'd send a cease and desist letter. But it's, it gets a little uncomfortable to send a cease and desist letter to one of your student athletes. So I think that's one of the concerns that we've heard is if, if, there's, a, if there's a lane to play in with the institutional marks around NIL deals, well, then, then we have to discern, did they, did they get authorization? Did they get a, a license to use those marks or not? And if they didn't, now we're in a tough position as a school to have to have to go out and police the market in a way that's completely unique because now we're going going after with CNDs our own student athletes. And I think that's a yeah, it's one yeah. You're you're absolutely right. It's one thing to send a cease and desist letter to uh, you know a company that's uh, not using the school's logo properly in a coffee mug, right? That person probably doesn't have much of a relationship with the school. It's another thing to say to the star quarterback or the star point guard or the star swimmer uh, that you know that they have to cease and desist from using the institutional marks on their social media or whatever it would be. Or so, yeah, it's a much different, yeah, much different dynamic. But that's one of the sort of issues that every school needs to wrap its arms around. Uh, and you know, the, the schools that are ahead of the game, as as you and I both know, there are schools that have put together sort of working groups uh, that that cross a lot of functional boundaries. So you might have folks in the athletic department, folks from the legal office, folks from the university's licensing group that normally handles a lot of those things. There needs to be much better communication as this new era uh, you know, launches because there, there, there very well could be some, you know, some challenging moments when you're saying to your star quarterback, you can't use the, the school marks for this or for that. Yeah, the one thing that you mentioned, Oliver, that, that we're, we're doing is working with our schools to put together policies and you know, kind of like be the cog to the wheel of folks talking, talking to one another about these brand new issues. Um, another question for you, for you, Oliver, and I think this comes back to the fair market value concept that, that a lot of folks have seen. So the question is, who or what controls what is, what is considered, quote, reasonable pay for student athletes NIL? Yeah, that's a great question that I think uh, you could have a group of economists uh, in a room, you know, Nobel Prize winning economists who probably would have a difficult time sort of formulating, uh, you know, an answer because, you know, the thought is that uh, the NCAA wants to restrict uh, egregious deals, right? Deals that are completely out of bounds in terms of what would consider to be a relatively, you know, broad market value for a particular activity. It's the, you know, $50,000 one hour babysitting, uh, you know, service that, that, that a student athlete would provide. Um, you know, but the definition for many economists of fair market value is a willing buyer and a willing seller come together 
and they determine what the price is. And what that price is, is, you know, sort of ipso facto, as the Romans would say, you know, evidence of, of a fair market value. So uh, the way the NCAA, I think, is going to handle this is the, the third party administrator that, that uh, they will set up uh, will have some responsibility to sort of track all of these deals and, uh, you know, gather enough data the first year, maybe two, maybe three years of the NIL ecosystem to be able to say what, you know, what is an autograph session? What's the more or less the fair market value of an autograph session, et cetera. And then the student athlete uh, will ultimately have to attest, right? Have to sign an attestation that says, you know, this, this uh, NIL payment wasn't done as a recruiting tool. That's what the real bugaboo is in all of this. The, the issue that every coach, every administrator who really looks at it says, well, we don't want this to be used in, in a recruiting context, right? We don't want a junior in high school to come to school XYZ and, and sort of wink, wink, nod, nod, son, we've got, or, or young lady, we've got a, you know, $100,000 uh, real sweet deal here for you if you attend, you know, university XYZ. So there'll be an attestation where a student has to say this wasn't done uh, in terms of a recruiting uh, you know, promise uh, to me, uh, but ultimately it's gonna be very difficult to determine what the fair market value is until we get data and we see what, uh, what is happening. And there, there'll be some outlier cases and it'll be very difficult for this third party administrator and for the NCAA, I think to really determine, oh, that deal is outside of the boundaries of fair market value or it isn't uh, because at this point we don't, really have enough data. Uh, we don't have any data and it's a brand new marketplace. So it's gonna take some time uh, to be able to, to look at that. And that ultimately I think will be the responsibility of this third party administrator. Yep, yep, got it. Okay, this next question, I, I, I love this question, but, I, but I'm a little bit biased. Um, do, you, do, you, do you see one company providing a full and comprehensive set of services to an athletic department or a combination where different companies provide providing complementary services, for example, social media, tech solutions, et cetera? And there's an add-on to it. And does education include providing education to college athletes as well as coaches, administrators, et cetera? Yeah, I think the, the educational piece covers all the constituencies, you know, student athletes, coaches, administrators, uh, boosters, uh, parents, right? Uh, high school coaches who need to sort of understand uh, that there's a new marketplace coming. And, you know, one of the big questions we haven't talked about it is, you know, will the NCAA continue to monitor the pre-enrollment space and expect that the amateurism is respected in the pre-enrollment space, or will the pre-enrollment space uh, be just like the post-enrollment space, which in other words, you can be a high school junior or, or senior, and, you know, you can monetize your, your NIL and it won't have any effect on your eligibility as a college athlete. Uh, I think there'll be a handful of, of different groups that, that are focused on different things. Uh, as I think most folks on, on listening probably know, there are some great companies out there uh, that are working with schools in terms of trying to, to upgrade the social media content of their student athletes with you know, better pictures, better video, uh, better content, quite honestly, because content you know, obviously matters in, in that world. Um, you know, they, they, I think, uh, are doing a marvelous job sort of you know, raising the bar, if you will, in terms of the social media for, you know, for the hundreds and thousands of student athletes who are, you know, engaged on those, on those platforms. How that rolls out after this marketplace begins is kind of difficult to say. Uh, you know, it's not clear, you know, again, where those boundaries are going to be uh, drawn, where that sort of line in the sand is drawn. 
but there are you know some some very capable people out there that I think are doing a, a marvelous job. And uh, many of those companies are companies that have platforms where student athletes, at least in terms of their social media, you know, will be able to go to get matched up with a potential third-party sponsor. Uh, simple, easy, quick. Uh, so I, I think you know this again is a brand new marketplace uh, for for you know economic students. This will be a marvelous thing to study to see how this marketplace develops and to see clearly where where it needs to be tweaked. And I, I assume that the NCAA. Uh, and, you know, the universities, the schools and conferences will be looking closely at the market and will will need to make certain tweaks, you know, as time goes on, whether that's six months in or or you know, 18 months in. There's no question that uh, there'll need to be some tweaks to make sure that uh, there, there's a proper regulatory touch and you know, not too heavy of a thumb, you know, on, on, uh, on, on the regulations, which would really impede the market from growing and sort of you know, having that organic. Uh, growth that it really needs to, to, to make sure it's, it's serving the student athletes in the appropriate fashion. Right, right. And then um, just, you know, the, the, so the way I view the, the, the market, and, and there's another question later on that I'm going to actually skip to because it's on this topic. Um, you know, there are a lot of companies popping up around uh, all sides of this, this NIL conversation. So whether that's on the student athlete side, facilitating the deals, actually, you know, agents or marketing reps, whatever you want to call them, to the social media companies, to the education focused folks like we, we are at Altius. Um, uh, so the question, the question below and is, and then there's a lot of questions. So the question Oliver was basically, how, how does a, an administrator sift through the all of the different companies and kind of cut through to figure out which ones are legitimate, which ones are not as legitimate, which ones do we need for the culture of our, our athletic department compared to maybe another school. Um, and, and I, I have a I have an answer for it, which is that's what we're going <laughs> out to do, but I don't want to make this a sales pitch. So so seriously, if you were in the AD's chair and you were sitting there right now and you have all these things on your plate from COVID to social justice, and now you have NIL, and then all these companies are emailing. Um, how, how do you discern between all of these different companies and map them almost like, it's almost like a, a map of like, these companies do this, these companies do that. And then how do you plan on which ones that we're, you're gonna need? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question. I, I don't think there's any sort of magic bullet or, or one simple answer. Uh, I, you know, it's sort of like uh, you set uh, sort of a standard of, of what you believe your department needs in order to handle this new universe uh, as, as, as well and as smoothly as possible. Uh, and then you, you know, have to sift through the various, you know, entities that are out there, the people that are involved with those entities. Uh, you know, some folks may understand this space a little bit better than, than, than others. I think, you know, some of the larger schools uh, have different challenges than some of the uh, smaller schools. And then some of the larger schools, you know, with multiple Olympic sports may have different challenges, uh, you know, than, than some of the larger schools that uh, you know, only have maybe 16 or 18 sports that they offer, right? So uh, I think there, there are so many different factors and it needs to be like, like everything, you know, on campus, it needs to be a, a good solid fit. And AD needs to be able to sort of sleep well at night knowing that at least I'm asking the right questions. I may not have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers, us included, uh, right. but at least I know to answer, you know, I'm asking the right questions. I know where so the Achilles heels may be. I know how important it is for, you know, coaches uh, to understand what this new universe means. 
you know, I, I've got as a as a you know a parent of uh, three former college athletes, I've, I've got a concern that you know that the search for NIL dollars by the students will take up too much time, will become sort of out of balance a little bit. We all know how difficult it is time-wise, you know, to do the, to give the academic piece justice, to give the athletic piece justice in terms of the time you have to spend. And, you know, all of a sudden, if there are legitimate uh, financial opportunities for a college athlete, are they going to spend too much time working on that to the detriment of their athletics or their, their academics? There's only 24 hours in a day. And you also want to have, you know, a little bit of a personal life. So, you know, there, there are some downside and some dangers that people need to be aware of. I mean, you know, we don't want to be sort of paternalistic about those, but it is important uh, with everything in life to sort of keep it in balance. So there are things like that that I think, you know, uh, the academic counselors need to start thinking about, coaches need to start uh, thinking about, because it, it is, it's, it's a brand new ecosystem uh, with, with new rules. And no matter how much we look at it and study it, I think there'll be some unintended consequences that nobody, quite honestly, is anticipating. And that, and, and you know, to be able to sleep at night, you want the sort of the smartest people in the room to at least provide advice again, so that you're asking the right questions. Right, right, and that's actually a great segue to the the, the next question. And we, I don't know if we're going to get to all of them. Uh, we have we have a dozen open questions. So the next one is about uh, uh, would there be provisions prohibiting student athletes from scheduling events over class time and exams? And you just mentioned you have the demand, the time constraints of of class time exams, and then you also have practice and you have film study. So, so could, and I think the next question is sort of similar. So I'm hoping to hit two, kill two birds with one stone here. And the next one is about, um, uh, it's also about time management for the student athletes, but it's on the side of will colleges be allowed to build in opportunities for the student athletes to do public appearances, not be compensated at fundraising events and full team autograph nights following a game, help with programs, summer camp. So like, Again, going back to that student athlete's time, the first question is, what about class and exams? The second question is, well, what about the, what they're doing now on behalf of being a student athlete for organization, institution X or Y? And, and how is that gonna be managed? Yeah, so I, I think it's uh, very reasonable to expect that every school would have you know, some regulations in place that would say, you know, no NIL appearances are, are allowed to cut into class time or into practice time. That raises the question, though, of making sure that every coach, you know, has a schedule and it's, you know, every student knows what that schedule is a week or two or three weeks out and it's not changed all the time. Right. So, you know, as often happens in, for example, uh, baseball right up, up north, in, you know, springtime, spring sport and coach calls up and says, we're going to move practice up two hours because the storm's coming through. We need to get practice time in and the kids as well. Coach, I can't do that. I've got an obligation, you know, over at the you know, at the local bank to do an autograph session. So those kind of very simple things have to get sorted out in, the, in a school certainly needs to begin to build sort of that infrastructure of, of, of rules uh, without being overly restrictive. That's critical. Uh, but you know, you, you want, you don't want your student athletes to miss class time. Obviously you don't want them to miss practice time or weight room sessions or, you know, film sessions. So that's, you know, that, that's something that I think everybody needs to begin, you know, to think about, but also, 
you know, realize you, you got to put the onus a little bit on the coaches to have a system in place so that a kid knows three or four or five weeks out what my schedule is going to look like. So that if I do want to do an NIL deal that I can, I can book it and, and have the comfort of knowing that it, that won't, you know, change because I have an obligation that I've entered into. You know, get, remind me of the second, um, the second uh, question. About the obligation, it, uh, about what student athletes are doing now in terms oh, of yeah. is already you know the things they're already doing in terms of like autograph nights following a game summer camps with coaches things like that yeah i think i think those will continue to be allowed because no compensation is involved so at the end of the day you know if uh, the rotary guy calls up and says you know can i get a student athlete to speak at the the, the lunch about you know the upcoming women's soccer season uh, a student athlete could go do that speech, no compensation involved, only reasonable necessary expenses, whether you, know, you had to pay for parking or, you know, you had to drive an hour and needed a, you know, a couple of gallons of gas. I, I don't think that will change. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, all the compliance folks know this, you know, bylaw 12 in the NCAA rule book is effectively, you know, sort of the amateurism bylaw. And it's pretty meaty, if you will, and uh, it, it has tremendous effect on lots of other, uh, you know, bylaws within the, within the rule book, sort of a cascading effect. So one of the challenges of changing something as significant as NIL, right? Students can now go out and monetize their name, their image, their likeness. It has, a, again, this cascading effect throughout bylaw 12 and even on other bylaws. And that has to get, to get sorted out. But I don't, I don't see any change to those traditional things that you know students have been doing for a long time. But keep in mind, as a student athlete, you're a baseball player, you can get three or four or five of your buddies, you can do your own summer baseball camps. You can't use the institutional marks or logos, that seems to be the case, but you can have your own baseball program and then you're teaching middle schoolers how to hit curveballs and how to you know turn a double play and all those things that you know that baseball players need to and you can get paid for that, right? And so you're in a sense potentially cutting into your coach's traditional business of putting on the camps and being able to scout, you know, see a few players live and generate some, you know, some, some pocket cash, if you will, for some of the assistant coaches. So there'll be some interesting dynamics uh, with, with that as well. Well, so to that, to that point, um, I got a, I got a question a, a couple of weeks ago and I'm not going to say from who, but um, which school, but like it, it was, well, what if, on this note, what if the student athletes camps are actually more, more popular, more profitable as a coach? Could I go work for the student athlete? Right. Sure. No marks. Keep the marks conversation out of it. Um, could I go work for the, the, the star players camp as, as, a, as an assistant coach at the, at the camp? And it was, it was a really interesting flip on the uh, what we've what we've talked about quite a bit, which is institutional involvement for the student athlete deals, but it's a flip side, right? It's like the institutional wanting to be involved almost as an, an employee or an independent contractor, which I thought was a really interesting thought. I, I would I would think right uh, that that would be certainly possible, right? I mean, uh, there's there's no reason that uh, that assistant coach would you know, would be prohibited from uh, you know joining a camp that is being put on by you know a half dozen of of you know his or her uh, Athletes, so there'll be lots of different twists. I had uh, a very successful national championship-winning men's basketball coach uh, on a call ask me whether you know a high school junior could an agent buy that individual's name, image, and likeness rights for that person's college career, 
And the answer is probably yes. I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be allowed under the rules. I hesitate, again, to, to provide 100% certainty, but uh, there'll be lots of different twists as people begin to understand you know, what, the, what the regulations are. And like anything else in life, you and I are both lawyers, Casey, we know that people will immediately try to find the, the loopholes and, and take advantage of those. Yes, sir. Uh, so we're, we're sort of running out of time. And um, what I'd like to do, so we have a lot of questions. And I, and I just got a, I got a note from um, Katie at NACTA that, that we'll answer all of the questions via email if we don't get to them here. But there are several questions um, on the theme that we were talking about before. So I want to I want to hit this as our probably our final topic. And we were talking about it a little bit before. But um, there are a lot of questions about can you clarify the delineation between student athlete NIL deals, corporate partners, and then thirdly, competitors of corporate partners and and what those issues are, recognizing that we don't have the final rules yet, because a lot of the questions are, well, well wait a second. Um, if, if one of our student athletes wants to do a deal with our partner, can they do that? And, and, and if so, can they do merchandising deals? Like one of the questions is about merchandising deals for jerseys, right? Does that count as a NIL activity? Um, you know, if you think about jerseys or, or, or baseball bats or softball gloves, and, and, and does that count as an NIL activity along with or in addition to wearing the shirt or saying, I'm player XYZ, I play at college ABC. Could, could you just provide like the, the bullet point overview, we, knowing that the rules aren't there? Because again, there's 14 questions. I think just skimming them, probably a third or half, a third to a half of them are about that topic. Yeah. So, yeah, I think a couple of things to keep in mind. One, we don't know the final rules. This issue of whether a student athlete can endorse a company, a third party company that's in you know, conflict, if you will, in competition with an official, uh, you know, university sponsor, that's, we don't know that. We, we don't know the answer to how the NCAA wants to handle it. As I had mentioned, the Gonzalez bill treats that issue 100, 180 degrees differently than the NCAA recommendation. So we just have to wait and see what the final rules are in terms of the student athlete's ability uh, to endorse basically a competitor of an official, uh, you know, partner. In terms of, you know, a, a jersey or, or, you know, t-shirt, et cetera, as long as the university marks are not used, and as long as there's no you know, likelihood of confusion, that's a key phrase, uh, as long as there's no likelihood of confusion, in other words, somebody's trying to make a jersey look just like the official game jersey, and just tweaks it a, hand, a little bit of a different Pantone or whatever, right. it leads to the likelihood of confusion, then you know that's the standard for for you know patents, right? So the you know you've got to understand a little bit about patent and trademark law. But likelihood of confusion, if that's avoided, right? Then there's no reason that a student athlete couldn't come out with his or her own line of of jerseys or socks or t-shirts or baseball caps or whatever it is. Uh, you know that that's that's part of this sort of brand new ecosystem. Now, how many how many student athletes will do that? You know, diff difficult to say. Uh, but, you know, think of uh, think of the very high profile players uh, in the past, both male and female at, at various schools. And if you let your imagination, you know, kind of run wild, you can you can you know dream up, quite honestly, some pretty interesting, you know, scenarios that uh, that, that 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 are bringing significant revenue to uh, to that individual. Uh, and, and in particular, and I say this as a friend of, of agents, right, I've worked with agents uh, virtually my entire you know business career, but uh, once agents get involved and really understand the system, uh, they will push 
the system, I think, to the limits in terms of, of creating opportunities for their, for their clients as they should. And that I think will actually be a good thing because it'll force you know, the intercollegiate athletic world to say, oh, we, we didn't think about that. We may need to regulate it. Oh, this isn't as bad as we thought it is. Let's continue to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing, Oliver, because I've told you some of these stories. We obviously don't have time. Anybody's listening and wants to hear some good stories, reach out to me afterwards about my time at the NFLPA. And, and I was on the other side, right? Like agents would call and say, hey, the Seattle Seahawks need to stop using my, my, my guy, my player. You need to call them for me. So I spent a lot of my time on the other side brainstorming with agents about, well, maybe we should sh- change that green for the green and gold for the Packers, maybe change it to gray, really, really light gray. So when we get the phone call from the league, well, it's gray. It's not, it, and you, like you said, the legal standard is likelihood of confusion, which we kind of put that out the window, but I have a lot, a lot of stories on both, both the agents and with and battling with the league every Sunday for products that, that, that we were working with. Um, but but I, I think, I think you would agree in those battles that help move forward, right? The, 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 the system, right? Whether it's group licenses, individual licenses. And I think, agents can have that same effect, you know, once the final regs are promulgated and once, you know, everybody can sort of see where, you know, where the lines are being drawn. I think they'll, they'll push that. And I, and I, I see that as a good thing, just like I agree. You know, agents pushing, you know, pushing companies in, in, in other spaces. I could completely agree with you about the agents and, and, and what you want is you want the legitimate ones. You don't want That's aspiring right. agents. You want the legitimate ones who are in the business and they're going to, they're going to help the athletes. They're going to help the whole ecosystem. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite Bob back to close this out, but I just want to personally say thank you to everybody who, with all the questions, we will follow up. Um, I, I, we will follow up via email. Thank you. Reach out to me anytime. And I want to thank you, Oliver, for the time um, and the insights. And I'll kick it to Bob. Hey, Casey, Thanks, Casey. Oliver, uh, thank you. Great job. Uh, you know, NACTA's done over 180 hours of virtual programming since mid, mid-May. And this is by far and away the most interactive session we've had. I mean, there's been over 16 questions asked. So it just goes to show you that you guys did a great job of educating the members and just myself, I've sat in on a lot of these and things like, um, you know, educate, but not facilitate. Uh, Things like um, there's gonna be, it's a brand new ecosystem. There's gonna be unintended consequences. I mean, all those things, you know, I think you, this really raised in my mind, more questions than answers, which is which is really good. So again, thank you all so much. Good luck in your new endeavor. Um, you're on the right track. Oliver, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. And for those of you out there, thank you again for being with us and with this pandemic, please continue to, to stay safe out there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bob, and your great team. Thank, appreciate thank you. Appreciate it.